Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. We're continuing our first summer series, if you will, a walk through the Bible. And today's subject matter is one that you might be familiar with. It's called rebellion. Let me catch you up. For several weeks now, we've been talking about the great gift God has given us, called the Bible. And the gift that it is to us is that it reveals the character of God. So the Bible is a great reflection of who God is, what God is like, what He has done for us. And all that becomes very clear when we turn to the first few pages where the story of creation is given. And we see God creating human beings because He wanted to have an object toward which to express His love. It wasn't that God was needy or God was lonely. But because God is love and love needs an object, He creates. And He creates a world that is very good, but by about page three, things go terribly wrong. Rebellion, right? Things go so bad that this world begins to fall, and then in that downward spiral leads God to raise up someone like a Noah. But then God has to go further, and He chooses one man, Abram. And God says, I'm going to bless you, Abram. And I'm going to make of you a great nation. And through this nation, I'm going to bless the whole world. So from creation to the fall to God choosing Abram, we always see that God is making the first move. And that is to come to us and restore us so that the relationship can be made whole. Ultimately, God is going to come to us in Jesus Christ. Now, we talked last week about this thing called the law and how it is so misunderstood by those uh, outside of Christianity and the church and don't really follow things of God. And the misunderstanding kind of goes along these lines. You've got to be good. And only when you're good enough, then you can be in a relationship with God. And we discovered that all the rules, especially the Ten Commandments, come after the love that God already has expressed to us. You see, that's different than thinking that God gave the rules in order to make the relationship happen. As if you do these things, then I'll love you. Well, today we're going to go through several hundred years of Bible history, so sit back, you're going to be here a while. I want to show you how God laid out for those who are in a relationship with Him what we are to do. And one of the messages of the Bible is that those who are in a relationship with Him don't do what God wants them to do. The subject matter again, rebellion. So if you were going to read from Joshua, which is the sixth book in the Old Testament, all the way through the end of the Old Testament, the 39 books in the Old Testament, So if you were going to read from the 6th through the 39th, I'm not saying we are this morning, I'm just saying if you did, you would discover that the overwhelming message is what God wanted from His people was to trust in Him alone. What you'd also see very clearly is that His people were not committed to doing that. So 
So let me tell you where we're headed today. We're going to pull one story out of the Bible that is representative of the entire Old Testament where people knew what God wanted them to do, but they chose not to do it consistently. And you'll see this one story from the perspective of four Bible passages. And let me say this, this isn't the story of an individual who was given bad advice, who chose badly based on incorrect information. No, he knew what he was doing. He was given all the information. That means the responsibility rests on this one man for his actions. But I'm not picking on just one person either. Almost every biblical character goes through periods in their life of rebellion to God and sometimes to the extent that they think they can get away with it. Our story from Jeremiah 2 begins with a brief introduction into what God is trying to communicate to His people Israel. You see, we left His people last week saying, God's saying to them, look, I love you. I'm committed to you. Therefore, I'm going to give you some laws, not for the basis of our relationship. You can keep them all and it won't make me love you anymore. But I want to give you some standards by which to live because they will help you live this life in relation to me and in relation to each other. That's where we left the story last week. And now we're going to track through history to see where Israel moved from being a slave nation under Egyptian rule to a free nation to a nation where they have their own kings. In our first passage, the prophet Jeremiah is sent to Jerusalem, the capital. And he's going to speak to all Israel, and especially the king of Israel, whose name is Zedekiah. And God's going to tell the prophet Jeremiah what to say. This is Jeremiah chapter 2. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. So he's speaking to the entire nation of Israel when he says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty. Disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. God says, didn't we have a great thing going? I took you to places where you didn't sow a single crop, but you got to reap all of the harvest. And anybody who came against you, I stood against them. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives? I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priests did not ask, where is the Lord? 
Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over to the coasts of Cyprus, which is far to the, to the west, and Kedar, far to the east, and observe closely. See if there has ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods, yet they are no gods at all? But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant, a slave by birth? And there are 23 more verses just like this in this same chapter. Here's what happened. Thane started off well. But then God calls to Jeremiah to say something has happened. I've brought my people to a great place. When they got there, they forgot about me. They forgot all the things I had done for them. I've given them instructions on how to live and enjoy the land. I've set up boundaries so that these great gifts can be enjoyed over and over. But not only have they forgotten me, they have gone to worship other gods. So God says to Jeremiah, I need you to go. I need you to go to Jerusalem and especially to King Zedekiah in the hearing of all of Israel, that if things don't turn around, it's going to go bad for him and Israel. And if you don't believe me, just look around at the world. Those who don't follow my basic rules of living, go east, go west, observe it all. See on the horizon how trouble comes. But here's the problem with rebellion, though. It's hard when you're in the middle of it to see what you're doing is going to turn out badly. It's hard for you to see that. Now, it's clear to everyone else. But you don't believe that you're going to suffer the same fate as everyone else. In the midst of rebellion, you think things like, I'm the one person who's actually going to get away with it. I'm the one person who can skirt by on the job. I'm the one person who can cheat on tests. I'm the one person who doesn't up, have to uphold my marriage vow. Rebellion almost always goes with ignorance or arrogance. And what keeps us stuck in rebellion is believing that somehow everyone else can get caught. <laughs> but me, I'm going to be able to escape. It's about having the truth right in front of you, but you don't want to take it in. We've all done it at one time or another. But it's like God is saying, I want you to come face to face with a few things. So Jeremiah is called to go to the king, Zedekiah. And now I'm going to bring in three other passages to help us walk through this story. We turn next to 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Zedekiah, the king of Israel, 
was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke the word of the Lord. Jeremiah goes, talks to Zedekiah. Zedekiah doesn't listen. He does his own thing. He, that is Zedekiah, also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who made him take an oath in God's name. But Zedekiah became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar was the strongest guy in the world, not in a lifting weight sort of way, but he is the king of Babylon, the greatest nation at the time. In fact, Babylon had conquered Israel. And just out of kindness... King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon allows King Zedekiah to remain on his throne as long as it's clear who's in charge. Well, all this goes to Zedekiah's head. He's young, and Jeremiah says to him, we've got some challenges you need to pay attention to the Lord. And out of either ignorance or arrogance, and for Zedekiah it was certainly out of arrogance, he says to Nebuchadnezzar, the strongest ruler with the biggest army, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do because I'm king too. And we're going to escape this obvious conclusion that's coming because we're special. Now we go to 2 Kings chapter 25, another little insight into Zedekiah and what's going on. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, still this is king of Israel, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Bar king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. So get the picture. The Babylonians have surrounded the city. They're not actually going into it to fight. But it's kind of like economic sanctions. They are not allowing anyone to leave the city. And eventually they begin cutting off the food and water supplies to the city. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah, full two years. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. Here's what's going on. After about two years, Zedekiah's little army says, we're done. And they are the ones who break through their own walls of defense and try to run out of the city. They fled toward the Arabah, which is a region north and east of Jerusalem toward the Jordan River. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho, all his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. We say, of course, we knew it was coming. We knew it was going to turn out that way, and you should have too, Zedekiah, for you'd been warned that if you didn't turn, if you didn't soften your heart, this was going to be your undoing. Now notice, this is not the Lord bringing this on Zedekiah. Zedekiah is bringing this on himself. It's just that the Lord allows the consequences 
of his rebellion, at least at this point. So what happens to Zedekiah? He was taken, this is kind of a rough part. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed his sons before him, and then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon, where he would live out the rest of his days. It certainly did not go well for Zedekiah. You know, and I read a story like this, and I go, what an idiot. And then when I'm honest with myself, and I look in the mirror, and I go, what an idiot. <laughs> you know, in my rebellion, I think, well, I can, I'm, can do better. I know better. In my rebellion, I can think, I can skirt past all that stuff that has befallen others. But what happens next almost always happens. There comes a point where you can no longer manage the consequences. You're doing something illegal, immoral. You're turning your back on God. The addiction is running your life. The immoral relationship is controlling your life. The shady financial dealings are ruining your life. The big idea is this. You make choices long enough in a certain direction, they're going to catch up with you. Zedekiah thought he was going to be able to manage it all. Now we get one final scene, and it's backtracking just a bit in the story. Uh, we're going to go to Jeremiah, his book again, Jeremiah chapter 21, a little different perspective. We already know Jeremiah was going to talk to Zedekiah. What we're going to see in this verse 2 is that Zedekiah is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what he tells Jeremiah. Inquire now of the Lord for us, because Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is attacking us. Perhaps the Lord will, form, will perform wonders for us as in times past, so that he will withdraw from us. This whole time, Jeremiah has been saying, you've got to get right with God. He's given you clear instructions, and you keep ignoring them. I'm telling you, you're headed toward destruction. And Zedekiah says, well, what if we pray to the Lord? All right, that sounds like a great beginning. But what Zedekiah is really saying is, why don't we pray to the Lord? Look, I'm not going to change one thing about what I'm doing. I'm still going to act the way I want to, but maybe God just overlooks that. Or maybe God just delivers us and makes Nebuchadnezzar go away. Another way we say that is, God, if you'll bail me out just this time, I promise I'll stop, I'll, I'll, I'll turn, I'll change. Jeremiah answers the king. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I'm about to turn against you the weapons of war that are in your hands, which you are using to fight the king of Babylon and the Babylonians who are outside the wall besieging you. And I will gather them inside this city. I myself will fight against you with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm in furious anger and in great wrath. These are not the words you want to hear from God. It gets stronger. I will strike down those who live in this city, both man and beast, and they will die of a terrible plague. 
After that, declares the Lord, I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, and the people in the city who survived the plague, sword, and famine, into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and to their enemies who want to kill them. He will put them to the sword. He will show them no mercy or pity or compassion. Furthermore, tell the people, this is what the Lord says. See, I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. This is what the Lord says to every one of us. I am setting before you the way of life and the way of death. Here's how it gets translated into the New Testament. For the wages of sin is death. You have sin in your life? Yes, you do. We're all sinners. We all do things that turn our back on God or leave Him out of the picture or don't do what we know is right that He wants for us to do. The wages for that is death. You see, God wants to confront us, to have us take a hard look at where we are. But I need to share with you the rest of this verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, it's a loving God who comes to us and says, your consequences are going to catch up with you, but I'm going to love you through them. And how do we know that's God's response? Because He sends Jesus, His one and only Son, to make a way for all the world to be connected back to Him. What ends up in the Old Testament story is a catastrophe for Zedekiah. For anyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your missteps can be a springboard of grace and beauty and love, but sometimes to experience the grace and the love, you've got to pass through fire because that's so the consequences are not your ultimate undoing. Let me speak a few words to parents, especially if you have children, teenagers, you can see things coming in their lives that you don't want for them. Consequences are going to catch up. Your job as a good, faith-filled parent is to love them, continue to direct them. It doesn't mean that you have to tolerate disrespect, and it may mean that you have to share and show tough love at times. But it's just that you know that you've had your share of mistakes. God knows we've all had our share of missteps, and He says to us, come back to me. I'm going to meet you where you are. I'm not going to wait until you get your act all cleaned up. I don't want to wait until your life is back on track. I want to meet you where you are. And if you'll trust me and let me take the lead, I've got your best interests at heart, and I know what it means to give you life to the fullest. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.